Bible to Revelation chapter uh, 21. Revelation chapter 21. And we're uh, finishing our series today that we've called I Shouldn't Be Alive. We've been talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And how no one who went through what Jesus went through ought to, ought to be alive. I mean, this was a genuine miracle for Jesus to have been treated the way that he was, crucified to death, and then the fact that he's alive, that he came back to life, is nothing short of a miracle. By his power and love, he defied death. So what difference, we've been saying, does this historical fact, this reality of the resurrection of Jesus, what difference does it make? Well, if Jesus isn't resurrected from the dead, most of the entire New Testament doesn't even make sense. For, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible tells us that if Jesus wasn't brought back to, from the dead, that our faith is worthless. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Our worship, our praying, our serving, our giving, our, our, uh, our reaching out, our sharing, it's all worthless. And actually, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, makes us worse off than the people who don't have any faith at all. If there's no resurrection. So the resurrection is the hinge the entire New Testament swings on. But we know that Jesus is alive and that his resurrection makes a giant difference. And so through this series we've been saying that uh, if Jesus is alive, then hope is real. And, and the week after that we said if Jesus is alive, then relationship with God is real. All my sin and all my shame and all my rejection is gone. And I've been made worthy by Jesus' death and resurrection, to be in a right relationship with him. So now I have every right. I have every right to know God. I have every right to pray. I have every right to expect God to be in a full relationship with me because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Last week we said if Jesus is alive, then truth is real. So in other words, resurrection is the proof that Jesus' words were true. Uh, truth isn't bytes of information that you read on a text or an email or on the internet or in a book. Truth isn't bytes of information. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so resurrection was the proof that he was true and everything he said was true. So today we're going to end the series here. If Jesus is alive, then heaven is real. If Jesus is alive, then heaven is real. Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but he's not the only one that's going to be resurrected from the dead. I've got good news for you today. Because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, you and I are going to be resurrected from the dead. There's a whole different paradigm that's happened. Now, before we get too deeply in that, let me back up for a minute and just give you a, a basic understanding of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have salvation? I think sometimes our misunderstanding on those basic fundamentals uh, causes us to misunderstand a lot of other things in the kingdom of God in Christianity. So here's what salvation is. Sal salvation, however it happens. I made a decision. I prayed a prayer. I went to an altar. I confessed my sin. I had an encounter with God. What, however salvation happens, salvation is the transformation of your soul. 
Salvation, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be transformed. You must be changed on the inside. So here's how the Bible describes salvation as the transformation of the soul. Old things are passing away. So in other words, guilt is passing away and sin is passing away and shame and rejection and fear as a believer. Those things are passing away out of my life. And as a believer now, all things are becoming new. Joy and peace and forgiveness and confidence and love and relationship are, are filling my life and becoming new. So here's one of the basic understandings, misunderstandings I think we have about salvation. Salvation is not, doesn't mean going to heaven when you die. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a life insurance policy. It's not a ticket. It's not a way out. Salvation is much, much, much bigger than that. Salvation is the transformation of the soul now. It is the inheritance of the kingdom of God on earth now. It is filling and changing your soul now. So salvation doesn't mean going to heaven when you die. Salvation is much bigger than any one of us. Salvation is God's plan to rescue the entire world. It's gigantic. So one person's salvation is only a microcosm of what God plans to do to the whole world. It's giant. Now, Revelation 21, I want to read for you this uh, idea. With that foundation of salvation, I want to read you this idea of what, of what heaven is. Now, as I said to you last week, this is a very interesting book in the Bible, Revelation, because it's one of the very few places that we have any... Uh, picture of the future. And so what God did is God caught John up in this uh, spiritual trance-like. He was caught up in the spirit, Revelation says, uh, as he was a prisoner on an island. And the Holy Spirit opened up, pulled the curtain back between the present time that John lived in and the future that we've not yet seen. And he allowed John to see it. So John's not writing, he's, this isn't dictation. He's not writing something down that God told him to write down. He's writing down what his human eyes are seeing. God has given him a vision to see into the future, into the world that's coming, into the way things are going to be. And John, as he's seeing all this flying around him, he's writing it down. And, and God gave John that vision for our encouragement. So let's read now what John saw. Revelation 21, 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Remember what we said salvation is? All, all things have passed away. All things have become new. The salvation that's in your soul is a microcosm of what's going to happen to the whole universe. All things have passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things, all things have passed away because a new reality has come. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Acts 3.21 says, 
speaking of Jesus, he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So God has a plan to restore everything. We call that salvation. He has a plan to restore everything, and our resurrection is part of that plan. We're going to die one day, but because of his resurrection, Psalm says he took the stinger out of death. If you want to write a thought down, write this down. It might hurt, but it won't last. Death might hurt, but it won't last. It's not permanent. So the question we've been asking during this series is, what difference does resurrection make? The resurrection means heaven is real. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if you looked out the window, checked the news, got on Facebook this morning, but you can tell we're like not there yet. This is not heaven. We're not there. So the fact that resurrection takes me through death to heaven, how does that affect my life now? Well, let me give you at least three changes that happens inside our life because heaven is real. Heaven has been provided to us by the resurrection of Jesus. And because heaven is real, it makes at least three changes in our life. Here's the first one. If heaven is real, it changes our priorities. 1 Corinthians 3, 12-15 says this, If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or stubble. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself, this is one of the most interesting passages in the whole Bible, he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now let's talk about this. There's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of pictures here. This is written to Christians. More specifically, uh, to Christian leaders and teachers. Verse 12 talks about building on this foundation. What does that mean? The foundation, the Bible says the cornerstone is Jesus himself. That, in other words, these people now have the opportunity to build on top of Jesus' foundation but not replace it. There's not another foundation. That's the only foundation we can have. So these are people who are Christians. They're following Jesus. They've trusted Jesus with all their heart. This passage describes the things that we build on top of that foundation of receiving salvation, of receiving Christ. This has to do with what is the quality level of the materials that we're using. What's the quality level? There are good quality materials like gold and silver and stones. And there are poor quality materials like wood and hay and stubble. And sometimes it's hard, maybe a lot of times, it's hard, hard for us to tell the difference in how good a quality the material is we're building on that foundation. But when we get to heaven, the quality will be clear. All of our works that we've built our life with are going to be swept into a big giant pile and that pile is going to be set on fire and all the bad works or the low quality works, the poor works, are going to incinerate, they're going to burn. And all the good works are going to last. And you and I in heaven are only going to be rewarded for the works that survive the fire. We get no reward for the works that don't survive the fire. So the only works that are burned up will will suffer loss. 
And, and this is an interesting thing. The people whose works are all burned up, it says that they'll still be saved, but barely. In other words, you can stay, but you got no reward. And there's every indication in this passage that, that we will somehow experience disappointment before God. Somehow as we stand before him, even as a child, not condemned, not condemned, saved, saved for eternity, going to heaven, but somehow we'll suffer some level of disappointment as we stand there before him empty-handed. Now this is a strong warning to people who teach and lead because what this is saying is, that if you read earlier in the chapter, Paul is saying, look, all of you teachers and leaders... We have one foundation, it's Jesus, but be very careful what you build on that foundation in your teaching and in your ministry because if you build worthless teachings, uh, uh, divisionary things, divisive things, things that aren't true, those works are all going to burn. But I think there's still an application for all Christians here. Jesus saved you, now what are you building on top of that foundation? I was just thinking about this. I bet when we get to heaven and everybody's coming from every corner of the earth and and we're there in the throne room, I bet you Americans are going to have the biggest pile of stuff to bring. We're going to have giant piles. I mean, these gigantic, massive piles. And I think everybody else will go, that's the Americans. There they are. Look at them. How do you know? Look how big the pile is. Why do you think we'll have so many things to bring? I think because we're the busiest people on earth. The busiest people I've ever seen. I don't know anybody who has spare time. Do you? Hey, do you want to? No, I don't have time. Hey, how about we? I don't have time. You know what I've always wanted to do? No, nah, I don't have time. I've never met busier people in all my life. The, uh, so uh, we live in a culture that is an absolute rat race. We are piling up busy, busy, going, doing, saying, running, doing all of this stuff. The question, though, is is not how big will the pile be when you get to the throne. The question is how big will the pile be after the fire hits it? That's the question. So since heaven is real, what should our priorities be until then? Since our works are going to be set on fire, what kind of work should we have? Should we have self-serving works? Should we, should we be busy pleasing ourselves? And what kind of words should we use? Should we use words that curse or words that bless? Words that tear down or words that build up? Should, should, should we, how should we spend our time? Should we spend our time serving ourselves and our own appetites and our own entertainment and our own desire and our own interest? Or should we spend it serving others? I read a report last week, a new study was just done, and I thought it was fascinating because I never heard anything like it in my life. They have found a new factor, a new reason that church attendance in America is declining. And I had to read it twice because I didn't understand. One of the reasons this study is saying that church attendance in America is declining declining is because of television. Now, when I say that, uh, oftentimes people say, and my thought was, oh, there's so many worship services on TV now, people are just watching them at home and not going to church to fellowship and to worship with the body of Christ anymore. And that's not what the study found. What the study found is that television is now so entertaining that there's just more options than there used to be that compete with the Sunday morning worship experience. So they're just opting out for TV. (laughs) I thought, are you kidding me? 
And I was wondering, I wonder when we bring the pile of all the stuff that we have, if television watching will survive the fire. Wonder, wonder if that's going to burn or not. I'm not a, I got a TV. I got a few TVs. I don't get to watching TV, especially in, you know, sports seasons. However, I'm wondering where do we discern how we live our life in light of the fact that heaven's real? What about our money? Are we investing our money in things that will survive the fire? What about our spiritual life? Too many times we're wandering around uh, deprived, dehydrated, anemic, wasting away, always spending our working effort on the outside, but not spending our working effort on the inside. On the things that touch the soul, the things that prepare us, the things that uh, get us ready. See, the question I've got to ask for you this morning is, how big of an adjustment will heaven be for you? Have you ever thought about that? How different will your lifestyle, because you know what this is, right? We are in preparation for heaven. We're training. We're getting ready to be in heaven. We're getting ready for the life that God died to give us. This is just temporary. It's passing away. It's fleeting. It's like sand through your fingers. We're actually in preparation to live the eternal life God wanted for us from the beginning. And how's that going? How big of an adjustment is that going to be? We're preparing for heaven every day. Are you ready? If heaven is real, it changes our priorities. Here's the second one. If heaven is real, it changes our purpose. Now, I've got our uh, ushers have a card that I want them to go ahead and give you. Uh, they'll just hand it out to you as we're talking, and then I want to I point, point out what it is. If heaven is real, it changes our purpose. Everyone is resurrected, the Bible teaches, but watch this. But not everyone is accepted into heaven. Do you know Christians, non-Christians are going to be resurrected also? Everybody's going to be resurrected. Everybody's going to live after they die. Those who follow Christ and those who don't. Those who don't follow Christ, the Bible teaches us, will be rejected. Now, if heaven is real, then our purpose is what? Is our purpose to get there? Is our purpose to make it? Remember what I said to you earlier? Salvation is not just going to heaven when you die. If salvation is just going to heaven when you die, we need to change the way we do ministry. As soon as a person gets saved, we just need to go ahead and shoot them and send them to heaven. Right? That fulfills the purpose, doesn't it? I mean, was the goal to go to heaven? Well, they made it. Hurry up. And and you know, in our theology, you can lose your salvation. We better hurry up. I mean, you never know. They walk out that door, something might happen. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot. If that's the purpose, there's a lot better way. But what if that's not the purpose? If heaven is real, then there's another purpose. If that were the only purpose, we would have another way of doing it. Our purpose is to be understood in the way that Abraham received his purpose. Do you remember Abraham when God came to him and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. I want to bless you and I want to make you a blessing. So God's plan of salvation to redeem the entire world and all old things to pass away and all things to become new is a plan to bless is a plan to strengthen, is a plan to heal, is a plan to redeem, is a plan to restore all living things. And so until we get to heaven, we are here fulfilling that purpose, living out that purpose. After Jesus' resurrection, I don't know if you've ever, I've never thought this way before and I was just studying this week. After Jesus' resurrection, have you ever gone back and only read the things Jesus said after he was resurrected? There's basically seven 
statements, seven thoughts. It can all be boiled down to seven things that Jesus said after he was resurrected. Three of them are, don't be afraid, it's really me. That's basically what three of them are about. Two of them have to do with what he said in Matthew 28. Now, I want you to hear this maybe like it's the first time you've heard it. Matthew 28, Jesus said after he was resurrected. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I guarantee you that verse is well known. Surely I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That is a very comforting thought to know that the resurrected Jesus himself has made a promise to us that he will not leave us, he will not forsake us, he's by our side, and he's going to be with us even to the end of the world. That's a, that's a, that's a comforting thought. Have you ever considered the context of how he said it? I'm with you to the very end of the age. What's the context? It's the context of Jesus' call on our purpose. It's his call for us to be missional that he promises to be with us. It's inside that call. It's in that context. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to make disciples. I want you to teach people to, to obey everything I've commanded. And inside that mission, inside that purpose, I will be with you always. So what does that mean? It means we can only do our purpose in his power and in his presence. He has to be in it in order for it to work. If he's not in it, it's not going to work. On the other hand, when we don't understand our purpose, watch this, we are not as aware of his power and his presence when we don't understand our purpose. In Matthew, Jesus promised us his presence. In Acts, he promised us his power. Let me give you an example. Easter Sunday morning, after one of the services, I'm standing here talking with somebody, and I can see there's somebody off to the side waiting, waiting to talk to me. And I'm done. I walk over. I shake his hand. He said, hi, my name's Larry. I said, hey, Larry, how you doing? He said, man, I'm doing great. He said, I just want you to know how much I enjoyed uh, Easter Sunday service with you here. He said, I was here last year too. And I was thinking, oh, man, he must be one of those guys that comes once a year. You know, every Easter, right? He said, I, he said, I, I was here last year too. And I said, well, tell me about that, Larry. He said, I'm from California. And um, I, I just visit once a year. And it just so happens that it was Easter both years. And so I, I wanted to come here. He said, but, but I wanted to talk to you because I want to tell you how much I appreciate. I've been following your church on, um, your, on iTunes, and I've been listening to your podcast, listening to your sermons. Just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate your ministry. And, uh, and he said, and I also want to tell you, I brought a friend here today. Well, well, how about that? What happened there, Larry? He said, well, I've got a friend who I've known for years and years and years. And through the years, I've been sharing my faith with him. But a couple weeks ago, uh, he, he prayed, and he asked... Uh, Jesus to forgive him of his sin and he prayed and made a decision to follow Jesus and he said it was so cool but he doesn't go to church anywhere he said so I brought him here he won't come down here and talk to you <laughs> he's shy he said but he made a decision to follow Christ and I've just been trying to minister to him and I, I just wanted you to know about that now he, here's what I want to say to you who do you think was more aware of the power and the presence of Jesus on Easter Sunday. Larry 
Or the family who came alone, invited nobody, dressed up, went home, hunted Easter eggs, and ate ham. Who do you think was more aware of the power and the presence? It is in the context of our purpose that we sense Jesus' promise that I am with you always. Now, I called Larry this past week, and I didn't even know who it was. I called him, and then we kind of connected the dots. And I said, well, Larry, I, I'm glad I caught up with you, man. Tell me, tell me how things are going. And he said, well, I'm glad you called. And I said, I noticed you put some prayer requests on here. So we've been praying for your friend. You know, our intercessors, our pastors have been praying. He said, well, I got one more request. I said, what is it? He said, well, while I was in Alabama, I met a guy named Richard Green. And he said, um, I found out Richard was dying. They've already called hospice in, so I know he's not doing very well. And I went over to visit him in the hospital. He said, but when I, when I visited him, and I thought, man, Larry, you're on fire, dude. And this guy's like, what did you do here? Did you, did you vacation? I mean, did you, you didn't do nothing but win souls, right? And he said, so I went to the hospital, and I went to pray uh, with uh, Richard. And um, I talked to him about his faith, and he just, he just was really closed. He, wouldn't, he didn't want to talk much. You know, I said, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. And I just think he was a good guy, and he wasn't really God. And, you know, I believe in something. And, but he, he said, I, re- I felt like I had gone as far as I could, and I just needed to stop. I was going to be pushing him. But he, he's got maybe like two weeks to live. And I just talked to Larry uh, Thursday. And he said, would you guys also pray for him? So I said, yes. So watch this. Watch this. Larry who experiences God's power and presence inside of his heaven-given purpose was on a mission from Jesus. And now, because of that, he's asked us to pray for Richard Green. So right now, I want hundreds of us in both service this morning to bombard heaven, and I want us to pray for Richard Green. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for Richard Green right now. God, I don't know how all this happened other than a divine appointment from you. But because of Larry's uh, following of your spirit, Lord, today we've now learned about a man named Richard who's dying, who is going to be resurrected one day. And when that day comes, we know that your plan is to restore him and to make all things new in his life. And so, God, we intercede for Richard this morning. We ask you to open his heart and open his soul and to rip the blinders off of his eyes that you're not just a good guy, you're not just a good teacher, that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose on the third day. I pray for a revelation of Jesus Christ, that he would know you as you are. He would know you as the truth, the way, and the life. Lord, break through to him. You know how many hours he has left. God, I pray you would continue to send people, family members, nurses and doctors and people who are working, people who are volunteering, send people to minister to Richard today. We believe you for his soul. In Jesus' name. When you prayed, did you have any sense of Jesus' presence? Why? It's in Side the purpose, the heaven-given purpose that God's given us that we experience most profoundly His presence and His power. A couple weeks ago, when we had water baptism service that was uh, incredible, uh, Doug uh, Greater, wave at us right there, Doug. Doug got the opportunity to baptize in water his sister-in-law and her daughter. 
those of you who were in that service. Now, now who, who do you think experienced God's power and presence that morning? Well, it was Doug. He was part of that, part of that experience. So what I want to say to you this morning is, look, you've got this little card in your hand. We've got three incredible testimonies of God's grace that are coming. Next Sunday we'll start and we'll do three in a row. You've got the card in your hand. Here's what I want to say to you. Invite somebody. Send a text. Send an email. Make a phone call. Reach across the hallway. Run into somebody. And I guarantee you, you will begin to sense the presence and the power of Jesus because you're walking not only in His purpose, you're walking in His promise. I will never leave you. I will be with you as you go into all the world. I will be with you as you reach out. I will be with you as you invite. I guarantee you, you will be having a completely different experience from everybody else in the building. If you have someone with you, one of the next three Sundays or all of them, you'll have a whole different experience. And it's because you have joined arms with Jesus and you're sensing His power and presence because you're now loving what He loves. Philemon chapter uh, 1 verse 6 says this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Isn't that a powerful verse? You and I don't even have a full understanding of what we have in Jesus until we sense His power and presence in sharing our faith. We can't even understand what the kingdom is. We have a limited comprehension, a limited experience. The abundant life Jesus came to give, we can't even get our arms around it without sharing our faith. So if heaven is real, we begin to see a different purpose. And we begin to think then, you know what, maybe I'm in this job right now because God's got me here raising money for my family, providing for myself, doing those things that I need to do and should do, but maybe I'm in this job in this season because he has me here for his purposes and I need to be reaching out to someone else here. Maybe I'm on this phone call right now. Maybe I'm in this neighborhood. Maybe I'm uh, inside this extended family. Maybe I'm in this store right now. I talked to a pastor's wife this week uh, at our district council. Her husband died. They were... All their adult life, they've been in, in pastoring. And he died, and now she has lost her identity. She's not a pastor's wife anymore. She's never not been a pastor's wife her entire adult life. So her husband died. She moved away to be with family. She said, I live in a little uh, garden home. I don't have very much money. Uh, our, our way to support us is gone. Uh, their three adult children have already moved away, and there she is by herself. And she's, she's standing here in tears telling me this story. And she says, you know what I had to learn? I said, no, I, how would I know? She said, I had to learn that I'm still in ministry, but it looks different than it used to. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, here I am in this little home. I don't have much money to do much, to go many places. But right next door, God has moved a family from India who are not believers. And she said, I've been reaching out to them. 
And I've been trying to share my faith with them. And across the street are two widows. She don't even see herself as a widow. Across the street are two widows. And she said, and this company was coming along. And uh, people were cutting their grass and overcharging, blowing the grass all over the place and not cleaning it up. And she said, I went over. She said, I cut both their yards. I said, you do? She said, yeah. She said, I had to learn that I'm still in ministry. It just doesn't look the way that it used to. Do you think she's experiencing God's power and presence? Yes, because she understands her purpose. Now, here's the last one. If heaven is real, it changes our priorities, it changes our purpose, and it changes our perspective. You know, I find sometimes we lose our perspective of heaven. We become so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. Or we become so entrenched in the problems and the frustration. And so as I begin to pray this week, I, here's what I heard the Holy Spirit say to my heart. I want you to go Sunday, and I want you to lift everyone's eyes up to me. It's almost, the picture I got is almost like a, a, a parent that would take their hand underneath the chin of a child and say, now, now look up, look up, look up. Look up off. This kind of living wears you out. This kind of living right here wears you down and frustrates you and overwhelms you and, 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 and we lose our perspective of heaven because things are so suffocating sometimes on this earth. And a cynic would say, you know, the reason that Christians talk about heaven all the time is because heaven's an escape for people who are suffering. In other words, it's escapism for people who are unwilling to take responsibility for their life. That's, that's what a, that's what a non-Christian perspective would be on heaven. Let me give you another way to think about heaven though. We focus on heaven because life on this planet has once again showed its hand. In other words, you strip away some temporary pleasures, you strip away some temporary prosperity, and we realize that life here is really broken. Go ahead, run and hide and work hard and try to build enough security for yourself. Try to store up for yourself treasures on earth. Try to get triple insurance policy, everything. Try to have a big enough retirement plan. Try to have a big enough car. Try to have a big enough house. Try to have a big enough whatever to make yourself comfortable and secure. And I guarantee you the day will come when what this world is made of will reveal itself to you again in some form of tragedy or heartache or pain. It is what it is. And this world will always reveal itself for what it is. On the other hand, heaven will be filled with joy and wholeness and freedom and liberty and it will be exactly as God created it to be. We don't have to try to construct some artificial joy. Real joy is emerging because all old things are passing away and all things are going to become new. That's what resurrection is. Look, Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Hebrews 12.2, Jesus said, uh, the writer said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. If you had a chance today to talk to the Christians around the world who are being locked in jail simply because they won't stop believing in the resurrection, what would you tell them? Our world has gone absolutely crazy. And let me tell you all it proves. All it proves is everything the Bible's been telling us all our life. 
that this world is broken and it is old and it is passing away. And it's going to reveal itself for what it is. What if you had to sit down and talk to the family members of those Christians who have been beaten to death, blown up with bombs, and decapitated? We, we are entering the bloodiest season of world history in Christian persecution. What answer, what would you give them? There's only one answer that makes sense. It's resurrection. The joy of the next life is greater than the suffering of this one. Joy's not some Disney world. It's not being rich. It's not having possessions. It's not having all the opportunities you want. Joy's not even being happy. I know a lot of happy people that are miserable. They get to do everything they want to do, and they are miserable. Joy is what's waiting for you on the other side of resurrection. Lift up your eyes. Lift your face off this earth. The present suffering does not compare to the future glory. And even the greatest moments of Christian joy we have on this earth are appetizers to what we're going to see and what we're going to have there. You have something waiting for you that will eclipse the worst experiences in this life. Whatever you're going through this morning, it does not compare to what you're going to inherit. If resurrection's real, heaven is real. If heaven is real, then look at your life from a heavenly perspective. Lift your eyes up and see what God has for you. See the good that's coming. Charmaine's coming to sing a song this morning. And as she comes, I want to read this final verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I've given you a lot of scripture today. If you've missed some of it, you can, you can get it on uh, our podcast. I just, want you to, I just want you to soak in. I just want you to soak in these words. These are some of those powerful words I know in all the Bible about resurrection in heaven. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and, be, and present us with you in his presence. All of this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all.
me. Stand with me. Stand with me. Come on. Lift him up. Lift up your eyes. Come on. Lift up your eyes and praise him. Lord, we worship you this morning. We worship you today, God. We bless you today. We bless you today. Would you, would you do something with me quickly this morning? Would you, everybody, would you just come and join me right here? I just want to have a group prayer. Like this is a big group. It's a big, small group. But I want to have a group prayer together. Would you come from the balcony, please? I just want to pray with you. Today's the day we lift our eyes up. Because Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. He's not dead. Heaven is real. Truth is real. Come on, you're going to have to squish in. You have to get squishy. Come on, get squishy. Everybody get squishy for Jesus. Are you going to live in heaven together? You might as well squish. Yeah, come on. Come on, join me here. This is the family of God. This, as Manuel and Dora said, this is what heaven looks like. I'll pray with you. I ask you to close your eyes. Today, if you're struggling, today, if you're hurting, today, if you're overwhelmed, today, if you have a need that's not been met yet, today, if you're suffering in your body, today, if you're not well, I got good news for you. Jesus is alive. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. And He's here in this room. And He's ready in this moment to touch you. And I just simply want you to do this. If you have a need of some kind, I just want you to lift your hand up and let that be the signal. Lord, I'm looking up to you. I lift my eyes up today. I lift my eyes up to the throne of God. You're surrounded by the family of Jesus. You're surrounded by the body of Christ. I just want you to lift your hand up and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, God. I have a need. Come now, Holy Spirit, and flow in this place by your power and by your presence, by your authority. Fill this place with life. Fill this place with your presence. Fill this place with joy. You look around and see somebody with their hand up. Just put your hand on their shoulder and say, Jesus, touch them right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be well. In the name of Jesus, be whole. In the name of Jesus, He is Jehovah Jireh. He's come to meet your need. In the name of Jesus, fill this morning in this place. Fill this morning in this place. We lift our eyes up to you. We shake off this world that's dying. We shake off this perspective that's leaving. And we look up because that's where our redemption comes from. Now I want you to pray with me before we go. Next Sunday morning, there will be people in this room who will meet resurrected Jesus for the first time. Old life will pass away and new life will come. I want you to intercede right now. If you've got that little card in your hand, you can hold it. If you don't, it's okay. Just pray. Lord Jesus, we pray right now that the miracle of all miracles will fill this place. We pray that seeds will be sown, watered and nurtured and raised up and harvested. We pray for a breakthrough in this city, in this county, that the kingdom of God, that you prayed and you told us, pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, all old things are passing away and all things are new. So we pray that 
the will of God will be done in this city. So God, we ask you for next Sunday, make these little cards like missionaries. We want to walk in the purpose you've given us. We want to walk in the power and presence of Jesus. So we accept your purpose today. Open doors. Open, give us opportunity. Start conversations. Let us see the need that's there and follow you in it. To share and invite and be part of what you're doing. In Jesus' mighty name. Jesus.